Welcome back to another episode of That's What They Said. In this episode, learn how Prisma Health implemented a transparency program that boosted web traffic and increased appointment requests by 50%. Teresa Verghese, Patient Experience Officer at Prisma Health, and David Slinkscales, Patient Experience Program Analyst at Prisma Health, discussed how their team gained physician buy-in and created a transparent comment review process. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us. My name is Mike Worsler, and I'm the Sales Director for Healthcare here at Binary Fountain, and I'll be the moderator of today's webinar. We're very lucky to be joined today by a couple of our fantastic partners from Prisma Health, Teresa Varagis and David Klinkscales. Teresa is a patient experience officer, and David is a patient experience program analyst. Thank you for joining, David and Teresa. Prisma realized that healthcare consumers greatly value online ratings and reviews, but wanted to have more control of the feedback. They found a large volume of very high quality feedback in their press gainy CG cap survey data and looked to use that to power online ratings and reviews to drive prospective patients to their own provider pages, also known as transparency. Prisma Health has had a great success with their transparency program. We're very excited for Teresa and David to tell us their story and share their insights along with lessons learned. We'll open up for chat questions uh, after their presentation. These two have an awesome amount of advice and content to share today, so let's get right to it. I'll pass things off to Teresa and David. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. We are so excited to be here today. David and I are very, very excited about this. So I'm going to start by just introducing Prisma Health and telling you a little bit about us. We are a not-for-profit health company, and we are actually South Carolina's largest private employer. And our organization was formed in the late 2017 when Greenville Health System and Palmetto Health joined together. And that's when we officially became Prisma Health in January of 2019. So we've got about 32,000 team members, 18 hospitals, and over 300 physician practice sites. And we serve more than about 1.2 million patients. So that's who we are. Our purpose actually is inspire health, serve with compassion, and be the difference. So. We are excited to be here today. A little bit about how we're going to um, spend our time today. We are gonna talk about the vital steps to create that realistic timeline for your transparency journey from the time you kick off to the time you go live. And then we're gonna talk about the tenets of an effective communication plan during all phases of your journey. We'll be defining um, how to select, train, and empower those physician champions who are so key um, to serve in that influential role during all your phases of the journey. And then lastly, we'll describe strategies to develop a comment review and appeals process that's really consistent, simple, and really beneficial to the provider. So this next slide just tells about our three levels of buy-in. We all know you have to have the executive level buy-in, that chair or division leader buy-in, and then that frontline provider. So we spent about two years gaining executive buy-in. Dr. Wiper, our executive chair, really, really, really did that. And we're assuming that most of you probably are at that level or maybe past that. And just so you know, we're going to really focus today on that frontline provider buy-in because we feel like that level um, was really where we did the majority of our work. 
So we're going to be sharing some of our slides and um, best practices that we use to really gain that buy-in. So beginning the transparency journey, the most important thing, first step, and the most important thing we did was really build that project team. So really think, think uh, about that project team. So executive physician sponsor, very important, our director of patient experience, marketing director, uh, our director from the medical group was kind of our liaison with the medical group. We had a project manager and then a patient experience officer. So this was our project team and we really initially began to meet about every other week. And we also at the beginning had weekly calls with our binary fountain partners, which was extremely important and helpful. So who do you include in transparency and why do you include them and what was our scope? So our scope, uh, we started with 500 providers. Some people start with all of their providers, but we actually started with 500 and we started with primary care. That's basically where people enter in the system, your family, internal medicine, OB primary care, Pete's primary care. And then we picked our popular service lines where we had access, cardiology, cancer, orthopedics, and we added surgery on a little bit late in the game. We wanted to make sure to choose service lines that had availability in their schedules. If anyone's having an access issue, it's not a great idea to have them go live because this will create access to um, your practices. So one of the really, really important things is to develop, to develop a timeline. And this timeline we adjusted along the way. But the basic goal of the timeline, the very first thing we did, like I already mentioned, was we did the executive level buy-in. Also, we did vendor selection, and we obviously went with Binary Fountain as our vendor. We did look at a couple other vendors, but we um, went with Binary Fountain. So that took about, you know, around a year or so. And then we began communicating with our frontline providers in about April to August of 2018. We started going on a roadshow, basically developed our PowerPoint slides really talked about our why, and we'll share a little bit of those examples. Then about July of 2018, we had our first champions meeting, and our staging site was ready for us to show uh, the physicians. Then in November of 2018, we had a champions go live, which we, um, we did a testing with our champions. That was a very, very smart idea, is to test with your champions. And then in February of 2019, we had our internal go live, and then our external public go live was in April of 2019. Now, of course, there's a lot of work along the way. <laughs> a lot of things happened in between these dates, but this is a basic framework timeline that we adjusted probably about every month when we were together in our meetings. So really important to keep your timeline fresh and keep it adjusted. So kind of coming back to that um, initial slide I showed you about the levels of buy-in, um, I'm going to share with you some of our really popular slides that really gained the buy-in from that frontline provider. So basically this statement <laughs> saying um, what is transparency and take, it's really about taking control of the online reputation. And most of the physicians can relate 
to social media. They relate to what's going on. They know people are online. They, they go up to Amazon. They understand reviews. And so this kind of really got them. And we, we wanted them to see that we weren't doing this to them, but we were doing it for them. Transparency is really about taking control of that reputation. We, we know that people are out there talking about you, so we want to help control the message. So this, this was really important. And then right here, just letting them know that their current and prospective patients are already online. Uh, the, intervert, the internet is a virtual waiting room. So about 95% of patients find online ratings somewhat reliable. 90% of patients research a provider online. Even if they're given a provider's name from a primary care provider, they'll research a specialist. And 75% of Americans say that online ratings and review sites have influenced their decisions to select a physician. So we really had to show them that this is happening out there and we're going to join and they really... Um, appreciated it. So the other thing we did is we went on all these different review sites. And I, I think there's probably around 80 uh, review sites, but we just selected a certain number of them. And I took a one physician's name, so Dr. Dr. Blanks. And I went to every one of these sites that you see here on the slide, Vitals, WebMD, HealthGrades, and so forth and so on. And I counted how many reviews Dr. Blanks, who's a cardiologist, had on those sites. So 17 on Vitals, 17 on WebMD, 29 on U.S. News and World Reports, and so forth and so on. The doctor had no reviews on some of those, um, you know, this health scores, the You Compare Health care and Angie's list. So just showing them sort of the number of, of reviews out there. So after we show them that, then we show them this. So in comparison on the Prisma Health staging site, again, we're still showing them our staging site, the same physician had 402 reviews. And so then we talk then about, you know, search engine optimization and how these reviews are so much greater and more meaningful to the patient that, that gives the consumer a much better picture of what's going on with the physician and how they communicate. So this was very, very powerful. And also we would tell physicians to look up their own selves online and to really count the number of reviews and then compare it. So it was real, real, real powerful. So then this is a... Um, our staging site that we would show them. So this is Dr. Blanks again. He's accepting new patients. Um, you know, we went through the practice addresses, the training, and then we showed the provider rating and how the comments um, were going to be viewed. So they loved this. It was very, very, very meaningful to them. And then here's some other sites. We showed them some other external sites and some other early adopters, um, other companies and other healthcare systems that were going on transparency. And this was effective too because they've heard of uh, some of these other big companies. So we showed them that this is happening you know, across the nation and we were able to demo some of those sites. And that was meaningful to them as well. So what did we learn from that very first phase? Uh, we learned about the project team, start sooner. I felt like we got a little bit of a slow start with our project team. Also, I would put a frontline physician on our project team. We had a, uh, our executive level physician, but it really would help to have somebody who's out there really 
patient facing every day, and likely also a legal team member. We had to consult legal a couple times. There was a physician, a couple physicians that wanted to be excused from the journey because of lawsuits they were in, and a couple physicians that didn't want to, you know, check the box to sign the agreement. Um, the non-disclosure agreement, things like that. So we, we had to consult them a couple times. Also with our champions, I would start that group sooner. And we added surgery late, a little bit later in the game, and we had to play some catch up with them. So part of that is just making sure that you really know ahead of time who your scope is. And, and that was one thing we, we, we didn't clarify right from the beginning. I would probably choose to do all my providers versus this set number. We did 500. We are still waiting for our, our additional 350 to go live. Um, now we're waiting till the, the next fiscal year. So I would try to get them all at the same time. Also support structure in place for providers who need help. You know, you're going to have those providers who don't have a real high score and who are very fearful about um, their, their online reputation. So having maybe a coaching structure uh, support for those who need it would be another great thing. So moving on to the tenets of a great communication plan, um, I think the biggest thing I would start with is empathy. This is probably uh, one of the something physicians weren't expecting to have to deal with in their medical career, having their online ratings out there being compared to an Amazon star rating. Some of them feel very exposed and they feel like this is just one more thing. Why am I have to going through this? So we had to do a lot of listening and a lot of understanding where they were coming from, how they felt about it. And so lead with empathy. And get on key stakeholder meeting calendars right now. If you're thinking about doing this journey, start asking for meeting schedules because it takes a long time to get to round all these key meetings with physicians. Be ready to control and adapt your message. So I started out with a very set message and I adapted it along the way. Um, and I'll show you some of the adaptations I made because the physicians had questions that I couldn't basically answer to, at the beginning. So I had to um, adapt my message. Create a variety of approaches. We had um, PowerPoint presentations. We made a video, which we're going to get to show you in a couple minutes. We used email. We had FAQs. So come at them from a different way, um, for a, with a variety of ways. And then listen and really manage pushback. So what do I mean by that? Well, these little statements in the bubble were examples of some pushback that we got. So one physician called me and said, why would Prisma Health ever post a negative comment about me on my website? Why are you doing that to me? You know, and, and he was pretty angry. And so um, I said, great question. You know, um, let me think about that. And we'll, um, we'll, we're trying to defend your reputation. That's, that was our conversation. So I did reach out to one of our Press Ganey partners, and I got some really great articles about that posting of negative comments. And you all know you've bought things on Amazon. It doesn't really validate the data if everything is positive. You're going to see a few negative here, here and there. But we had to work, help work through that. And part of it was listening. Part of it was reaching out to our partners with a little more research and then sharing it with the physicians. The other really big thing we worked through is 
they all wanted their press gainy, they all wanted, excuse me, their practice manager to have a login so that their practice manager could deal with their comments. And we pushed back pretty hard and said, this is your reputation. We, we want you to manage it and we're going to help you and we're going to empower you, but we're not going to give your practice manager a login. So one thing we did do, though, for them is they were frustrated about having to log into another system because they do have to log in to appeal a comment. And so we went ahead and got um, paid the extra money to get them single sign-on so they could just use their same password that they logged on for the system and, um, you know, for the hospital system. And that was something we did for them. So we did listen there. Other things we pushed back on. So, and here's just a few other examples. You can, you can read those, but listen to it and manage it, basically. So this was an example of something that I added, I modified as we went. So they needed to know the questions on the survey, but a lot of them didn't know the answers. So these are the provider communication questions, and then you'll see next to those, um, the patient responses. So we, we put that there. They wanted to know how the star rating was calculated. And I really, I really wasn't prepared for that. And so I got prepared pretty quickly so that I was able to tell them. So the next couple slides, I'm not going to go through them in detail, but they do show how the star rating was calculated. And just to let you know, these were some of their favorite slides. So this just went at you know, they got points for yes, somewhat, which normally with caps, you know, you don't get credit for anything but top box. And so uh, they really liked this because they got some credit for everything. So this is just a, a straight example on how we calculate the star rating. And same on this next slide. So just gave an example of the questions and how we get the mean score and how we, we um, move it all to, a, you know, that five-point scale. So really important to make sure they understand that because physicians are very data-driven and they're very analytical and they'll really want to understand that. This was, um, not going to read this, but this was an email that we sent to the providers. And within the body of this email, we worked really closely with our binary fountain partners and our marketing partners to provide links. So one of the link they could click on then took them to their comments. The other link taught them how to log into the system. So basically, two documents that were educational in nature, we were able to attach them in the body of the email. And then you could see our transparency project team. We all signed our names to the email so that they could reach out. We had a patient experience email so that they could um, kindly email us if they had any questions. So what lessons did we learn about that phase of our journey? I learned to, that it's really, really the best practice to equip and train champions to present the information right from the beginning. So a lot more of them presenting and a lot less of me. I ran into some, you know, pretty angry physicians at the beginning of this. Now they're all begging to go on transparency if they're not on it. But there was a lot of resistance at first that um, they just needed to work through. And I think having their own um, colleague really speak with them sometimes was more effective. Train them together. Get them in the room. Get your champions team selected. Get them in the room together and train them together. And then just be more consistent in my presentations. I was, we were updating constantly and sometimes that makes it difficult to remember sort of who you shared what with. So just be real consistent um, in your presentations and keep them simple. 
In my perfect world, I would map out every detail of a communication plan up front and I would limit changes and then I would keep some notes in your slide deck so that if my, I couldn't be somewhere my colleague could present for me. The thing about communication is sometimes you just don't know what the needs are and what's going to come up. So you have to adapt and you have to be ready. So let's talk a little bit about the champions. I mentioned them. This was probably the highlight of my uh, of the journey. I would say that this is probably one of the most successful and most important things that you'll do in the journey is to select your physician champions. So I showed you our scope and then I, here's the names of our champions and the groups that they represent. And the star is our appeals committee. So we actually took our appeals committee um, from our champions and David will touch on that in just a little bit. But this was our champions group. So how do we select them? What qualities and what attributes of a champion? We went to the chairs of the division and we asked for trusted, respected by their peers. We asked for ones that had strong communication skills, that were enthusiastic about patient experience, that were role models and really team players. And the chairs appointed them. And uh, we got a great group. So we did set criteria and we did write this down and give it to the chairs um, so that they knew exactly what we were wanting. And then we wanted to make sure to set clear expectations about the role of a champion because it was going to take some time. We had it, they had to attend an informational session. They were responsible to help us gain physician buy-in. So they were going to be our salespeople. <laughs> um, they were going to be a resource to their peers. They were going to help educate and train their peers. That liaison. And they're going to do a rotation on the appeals committee. And initially, it took about two to four hours a month. So that they really wanted, the chairs wanted to know how much time is this going to take. We don't want to take them out of the office. And we met in the morning, um, usually at 7 o'clock before office or hospital rounds. So, those, so the, just set clear expectations. Tips for success in working with your champions is give them the decision rights as much as possible. You know, I, I went in with my list and my predetermined things that I thought needed to happen. And they questioned just about everything and, and had a new idea. So one of the things that it's a great example is they really, we wanted to share comment reports monthly with physicians. And they felt like that was a burden for physicians to be getting a report every month. So they wanted to move it to quarterly. And so I didn't agree with that. Several of us didn't because if you, if you only... Um, quarterly data, you know, if they look at their comments quarterly and then we approve them, they're going to be sitting on the website a little bit longer, whereas if they're monthly, the data and the comments are going to be refreshed more often. But they, they felt very strongly about that. So we left it with that and we let them pick a quarterly cadence and they have that right now. So be open. Be open to their ideas. They're, they're very um, engaged, intelligent. Uh, we were very open, and we invested a lot of time in our champions. I would, you know, be willing to meet them before hours, after hours. Be willing to train them, because if you can train them very well, they can really train a whole group of physicians, which is very much, um, it's, it's a great way to spend your time. Meet them in person regularly. You know, we met with our champions. We met monthly 
And we still meet, we meet quarterly now, and we also uh, meet quarterly for appeals. So meet them in person regularly. So I wanted to show you this video about our champions real quick here. Transparency Journey is just allowing patients to be able to give us input on the work that we do every day. It offers the patient an opportunity to see the backstory, to see the side that they will experience as the patient before they are a patient. So the Transparency Project, I think, is focused on um, showing the community what the physician's um, quality, what they can deliver, allows them to see what kind of work that we do um, in the voices of our patients. We need to um, be aware that there's a lot of information out there on us and being able to uh, take ownership of that and also to have at least a little bit of control uh, of, of those comments I think is really important. Uh, and the other side of this is that we know that patients are uh, reviewing physicians all the time now. They're uh, going online and, and looking us up and uh, having some uh, control and some knowledge of the comments that are out there about us uh, I think is very important. So what sold me on the idea was when I googled my name um, and I saw that I had one star, one review on Google that I'm pretty sure wasn't me actually with a name like Rebecca Smith, there's a bunch of us out there and I realized if we don't tell the story then somebody else will. When I first heard about the transparency journey, I was excited uh, for Prisma Health to join the ranks of really other uh, large successful healthcare systems in informing patients of what their experience is like and uh, what working with the physicians will be like. Fortunately, most of the comments are actually very good. And so having comments out there that, that prospective patients can see, um, I think is very beneficial uh, to us. Well, I think it gives us an accurate representation. It's not based on the whims of whoever can get on uh, line and, and give us an evaluation. Um, but it's also important to recognize that um, it, it needs to be looked at by the providers as providing you know, some constructive criticism. Um, you know, to a certain extent, there are going to be some negative reports, and I think we have to look at those and not necessarily feel like those are unfair, but to accept them as constructive criticism and to, to look at maybe uh, introspectively seeing whether or not we could do better. Realize that we have an appeals committee. I actually sit on the appeals committee and any comments that are potentially libelous, profanity, anything that's inappropriate will be screened and you will have the opportunity to read your comments and if you feel they're inappropriate, you can let us know on the appeals committee and we will take a mindful look at it. Well, I think as a consumer, most of us look at reviews for restaurants and products and if we're honest, I don't think I've ever looked at a review at a set of reviews that was 100% positive. So I'm not concerned about three out of 100 comments that may be perhaps slightly negative because I think as a consumer you're willing to look at that and say, well, everybody has a bad day, everybody has things they can improve, but if the vast majority of my comments are positive, I, I can live with a few negative comments. I'm, I'm a realist, I'm not perfect, and I think 
the whole point of transparency is being transparent about our performances. Well, I think the first thing we have to say is look at it really from an objective standpoint and perhaps use it as a learning opportunity. Um, you know, there may be a silver lining of truth even in a negative comment. And so I think there's an opportunity for all of us to really evaluate the care that we give to our patients and the way that we treat and interact with them and their families. We hope you now have a better understanding of what the Transparency Initiative is and why it's beneficial to you as a provider. Providers have already received links to their comments for personal review, as well as instructions for appealing comments. We look forward to introducing this initiative to current and future patients, and thank you for embarking on this transparency journey with us. We learned a lot of lessons with our champions. One quick little funny story, two of the, the doctors in there said the champions really feed off of each other. Once you get them all in the room, you don't need to really do much because they will teach each other and feed off of each other. So when we were doing our piloting, um, the doctors practiced appealing their own comments. So one of the physicians had a comment that he appealed and the comment basically said that he was chauvinistic. And so the whole group of champions said, well, you know, why are you appealing this? Does it meet the criteria? And basically they had to tell him that didn't meet the criteria and it was the patient's perception that he was chauvinistic. And so there was a little coaching session going on with the older uh, gentleman that you saw in there and the younger one, they were, you know, kind of going back and forth. So they really kind of coached each other. So, so there was real power in them being together. So just to um, sum up before I turn it over to David, the lessons we learned with the champions couldn't agree more that we needed to select them earlier and really to empower them to present at all your key stakeholder meetings. Bring them with you, go help them to prepare and help them to present. Show this video at the actual meetings. We got our video a little bit late. We didn't get it till uh, mid-January and we went you know, internally live in February. So I would have made our video a lot sooner. And then again, I said this uh, earlier, train them together, how to log in, how to appeal, and just how to navigate, um, how to navigate the portal. There was just several, a um, lot of time training. So I am going to turn it over to David, and he's going to talk about the next steps with comment review. Thank you, Teresa. So Teresa's done a great job of walking through with you all the great work it took to get to our go live date, which that was, as you saw, a really long and involved process. I'm going to pick up the story after our go live date and sort of walk through with you how we manage this process on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. So the primary thing that I'm going to walk through with you here is our comment review and appeals process. And, and essentially what that involves, uh, the three main buckets are initial comment review by two reviewers then our decisions to approve, edit, or reject comments, and then finally our appeals process. So we'll talk through all three of these, um, these buckets in the slides to come. Okay, so I wanted to walk through with you really quickly what an average timeline looks for us. You could totally do it, do it differently. Everyone has sort of a different model, but this is what we're doing and kind of what's worked for us. So the example I'm gonna show you today is based on um, our Q2, January to March, uh, review example. So in that example, by April 15th, so the 15th of the following month after the quarter is over, we will have all comments for the quarter approved, edited, or rejected. Now, obviously, we're not doing it all on that day. We're kind of chipping away at it over that three-month period because we get a lot of comments. 
but by the 15th of the next month, that's when we have everything cleaned out and ready to go. And on that date, Binary Fountain will generate a report that goes to that vendor. Now, we give our providers a full month to submit the appeals. Now, um, this is something we kind of debated, went back and forth on, but ultimately working with our champions, th this was something we agreed on. Uh, four weeks is probably more than what they need. And I've definitely talked to systems who do it in a shorter time period than that. But for us, it's what we agreed on. And, and it's what the physicians felt comfortable with, with the, you know, the stretch time that they have and the limited time they had to spend on this. And so we give them a month um, for their appeals deadline. Once all the appeals have come in by that deadline, then about a week after that, our appeals committee will, will get together and rule on the appeals. Between those two dates, uh, probably by the 16th or 17th, I'll send all the appeals to our appeals committee so they have time to review that ahead of time. I'll show you guys this in a little bit. Um, and that way they can come prepared for the, the, the meeting a week later. And then once we have um, our meeting and all the decisions are made by the appeals committee, Pretty much immediately, we communicate those decisions to our providers that appealed, and then we publish our comments externally on the same day. So you can see sort of the full from April 15th to May 23rd, all the work that went on there. And again, this has worked pretty well for us. There's definitely things you could do differently, but for us, this, uh, this has gotten us in a nice cadence and has worked well. Okay, so exclusion criteria. For all you guys that are most likely at some point on this journey, you're probably pretty familiar with what standard exclusion criteria are. Um, so I'm not gonna get through all these. You'll see there's a lot of criteria here. The main distinction that I wanna make for you guys, and especially for those who haven't started writing their exclusion criteria yet, is sort of the things that are gonna give you trouble versus the things that are pretty straightforward. So the ones you see on this page are what I'm referring to as the black and white. These are the ones that are pretty, pretty objective, pretty straightforward. Um, you're not going to spend a lot of time on these. You're not going to get a lot of appeals on these. Yeah, they're, they're pretty obvious and straightforward. So things like PHI, comments related to the survey tool, profanity, these things are pretty black and white, and it's not something that you're going you're gonna to spend a lot of time on. Now, on the flip side, I want to point out just a few criteria that weren't on the previous list that I'm referring to as our gray areas. And these are the ones I would be really intentional um, on when you write your criteria and when you make your, during your planning period. So things like libelous comments, um, this is something that was mentioned in the video earlier. So libelous is, you know, to define libelous is sort of difficult and probably different people have different definitions for it. So I'm gonna give you a couple examples here of how to sort of illustrate how this can be a little bit of a gray area. So you'll see in this first comment, Dr. Smith is a negligent surgeon and has ruined many lives. So to us and probably to most people that would fall within libel. But here's another comment. I was not happy with the outcome of the surgery Dr. Smith did. No way I would trust him to do another. Well, that's sort of in the same vein, but it, it feels a little bit different, right? It, it feels like something that, that wouldn't fall into the bucket of being liable. But again, these are subjective. So I may have an opinion and Teresa may have a different opinion about the same comment. Um, and it, for us with these two in this specific example, uh, the first one would be uh, not published because it did meet the libel criteria. And then the second would be published for being liable. The next example, we get a lot of these critique of medical decision or clinical competency. So the first one, Dr. James ordered a CT when obviously an MRI would have made more sense. That's pretty, pretty obvious. That falls into uh, meeting this criteria of critique of medical decision. The next one, Dr. James was determined to do surgery, wouldn't have a conversation about non-surgical options with me. This is a little bit different. This feels more like a communication issue. 
um, not so much about questioning their their competency or the medical decision, but just about the fact that they wouldn't have a conversation with us about it. So for us, we would reject the first example and then accept the second. Now, uh, everyone may have a different opinion on these. So the main thing I'm trying to communicate is just when you write your exclusion criteria, be very intentional because the more ambiguity you let in and the more gray areas you have like this, you know, the, the more time you're going to spend uh, fielding questions from providers, fielding appeals from providers, um, having uncomfortable conversations where you're having to kind of debate these with providers. So the more time you could spend on really being intentional on how you word your criteria and thinking forward about situations like this, it'll really save you time on the back end. Just a couple others, uh, pain med seeking behavior. This is one we didn't really prepare for ahead of time. Um, and we probably should have, but we get a lot of these. And so one thing I would urge you to think about with this one is what triggers inclusion into this criteria. So there's some comments, as you guys know, that are very overt where they flat out say, yeah, my provider would not refill my pain meds. He's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And so that's a pretty overt, pretty obvious thing. But then you get others where a person is not saying it overtly, but it's pretty obvious that they're having pain issues. And it sounds like that's what um, most of the negativity is coming from. And so we get a lot of our providers uh, that appeal uh, on comments like that. Sometimes they, they know who the patient is just by reading the comment. And so you need to be really intentional about and make clear to the providers from the start, here's what, here's what will trigger inclusion in this criteria, but here's what will not. And, and we will publish the statements because these, these are, can be a, a really gray area around pain med seeking. And then the last one, disputes about factual info. Uh, so th this mainly revolves around discrepancies in wait time and things like that that are in the medical record. So we, we specifically wrote into our exclusion criteria about, uh, we use EPIC for our EMR and that if a patient made a comment about sitting in the exam room for an hour and that provider could show that according to the medical record, that was not a factual statement that, that, that the patient was out in 15 minutes then that's something that we can work with and, and can consider for either editing or rejecting. So again, the more specific you can be on that and let the providers know up front what that'll look like. Otherwise, if you're not prepared for that, you're going to get into some, some back and forth um, that'll be uncomfortable about, about how you do that as the appeals come in. So those are some of our gray areas just to keep, uh, keep in the back of your mind when you're in your planning process. So moving on to editing comments, you guys are probably familiar with this. I won't spend a lot of time, but um, outside of just approving and rejecting comments, there's a lot of freedom to edit comments. So things, uh, the examples I have up here in this first example, we took out um, part that fell into the, the survey related info exclusion criteria, but we left in uh, the useful information at the end about Dr. Jones. So you don't want to lose the useful part of a comment just because there's another portion that falls into our exclusion criteria. Same thing with this next, next example. We kept in the positive part about Dr. Clark, even though we edited out the part about our pediatric patient that had some, some private health information there. So pretty straightforward. You'll do a lot of this as well as you get through the process. So here's our appeals committee. Uh, Teresa spoke about this a little bit earlier. These come from our, our champions group. So we, we use three physician champions. 
doesn't have to be three. It could be another odd number, but three works well for us. And they rotate quarterly after being approved by the champions group. We actually, once we had done a meeting or two, we moved our meetings to Skype, which actually works really well. The providers prefer that we do it early in the morning and it kind of keeps their day open and uh, doesn't interfere too much. So we do them via Skype once we kind of felt like we were in a good, a good rhythm, a good cadence, and it's worked really well for us since then. Um, I send, I mentioned earlier on the timeline, I usually send these comments to the providers about a week ahead of time so they can re- have time to review them and come prepared. And typically they've all reviewed them. They all come really with their minds already made up to themselves as far as how they feel about each comment. And so our meetings go by really, really quickly. Um, occasionally there'll be discussion where not everyone is, is in consensus, but generally, uh, they come really prepared and they've done a great job and made it really painless for us. And finally, if not unanimous majority rules, obviously we have three champions. So occasionally we'll have, have a difference of opinion. So two out of three um, takes the day in that case. Okay, real quickly, this is a sample of the appeals form that we use. Um, and you'll see that we just, we drop in a screenshot of what the comment was and what the provider appealed for, what the provider, the appealing provider's argument was. And then we also make a note of the category. And then as we make decisions in the appeals meeting, um, we, we just for bookkeeping purposes, we make a note here of, of what the decision was made and when we followed up with the provider and so forth. So uh, you can structure this a lot of different ways, but just to give you an example of kind of how we look at this here. And then I also mentioned that we communicate with the providers very quickly after we make the decision. So this is sort of a form email we have, and you'll see at the bottom that all the champions names are on there, which we think is really important. Um, and we just drop in the, the comment they appealed and let them know that either we rejected their appeal and we'll publish the comment or that we accepted their appeal and we'll take the comment down off of the site. So uh, pretty straightforward, but we think it's really good. And we try and be real sensitive to them and communicate no matter what the decision is as quickly as possible once the appeals committee has made a decision. Okay, and this is our appeals data since we started. And the biggest thing that's going to jump out at you here is how much it's gone down. So obviously, at the beginning, you're going to have a lot of education going on. But once we, after those first few sessions or our first few um, quarters, you'll see that the last couple of quarters, we're down to 16 and 14 appeals. And actually, I just yesterday finished the appeals for this uh, previous quarter. And this quarter, we only had eight appeals. So we feel like that, we, we hope and feel like that's our sort of steady state. And that's what we're going to see going forward. And so what you're seeing is the providers getting really comfortable with the process. They no longer are scared about, about what's out there about them. And, um, you know, it's gotten down to a really manageable level. So uh, we're hoping that this is sort of our steady state going forward. And again, it's made the process really manageable. It'll be difficult at the very beginning. You'll get a lot of appeals. Uh, but once you set that expectation, then you'll, um, you, you'll find it gets easier and easier. Okay, so lessons learned on this section really quickly. Uh, I think I harped on this enough earlier. My number one lesson learned would be word your exclusion criteria in very black and white language limit ambiguity. Again, I'm going to repeat myself, but it's so important to me. The, the more time you spend up front really thinking through that, communicating with your champions and working with them on, on how we write these, you're going to save tenfold the time on the back end around your appeals and your complaints from your providers. The second one is comp- comprise your appeals committee of providers only. We considered bringing in someone either from our team or, or another administrator type person uh, that was not a provider to the appeals committee, but at the end, we decided just to go with our three providers. And in hindsight, we think that was the right decision. We think it's given a lot of credibility 
to this appeals committee that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, someone from our team who was not clinical was trying to make decisions about things that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So we would highly recommend that. Set the standard from the beginning, no grace period. On our very first session, um, or our, our first group of comments, we gave a little bit of leeway. We were trying to educate the providers and, and kind of ease them into it as we knew it's a sensitive topic. And in doing so, in that first batch of comments, a lot of the appeals we got, uh, we approved them, even though they didn't quite meet the criteria. And we were trying to ease them into it, but in hindsight, it was probably a bad decision because we weren't setting the expectation from day one. So to do it over, we would have you know, stuck to the criteria from day one, not given any kind of grace period, and probably the education would have been quicker if, if we had done it that way. And finally, don't underestimate the resources required for this job. Um, you know, Teresa mentioned earlier the size of our organization. We get about 800 comments every Thursday. We get them on, on once a week. And so that's a lot. And, and for, for one or two people to go through those is, is quite an undertaking. So before you start, really think forward about who's going to do this, what's the right level of person to do this, and uh, don't underestimate you know, h- how much time and effort it takes. Okay, and finally, uh, before we take your questions, doing a look back from kind of before we started this transparency journey to after, you're going to see a lot of improvement here. So the top two uh, bullets here are around CG cap scores and you'll see that on our rate provider zero to 10 question, we've improved by about eight percentile rank points. We already did really well, but we did see a, a bump there. And then even more so on the MD communication domain, the middle bullet there, um, you'll see we went from the 60th percentile rank to the 72nd, which was really, you know, a really good jump for us. And to me, the most powerful part was here at the bottom of the website metrics. These were really interesting. So you'll see that before and after our appointment request via the website increased by 56%, which is really substantial. Uh, our unique page views specific to the provider pages increased by 17%. And our average time on those provider pages specifically increased from 46 seconds to a minute 20, which the story we're telling is that, uh, and, and what we hope is going on is that that's uh, folks looking at the star ratings and reading comments, uh, which makes sense to us. It's not something we can prove, but it makes a lot of sense to see that kind of jump now that we've added that to the provider pages. So a lot of great results. We'll keep monitoring these and definitely be thinking about how you're going to measure your ROI before you start this whole project so that a year in you can determine, hey, is this working for us? Is, are we getting a uh, return for, for the money we've invested in this and so forth? That's all we have. I'll turn it back over to Mike for any questions and thank you guys for your time and thanks for, for joining so much. Thanks so much, David and Teresa. I mean, great stories, great results. While uh, people are typing their questions, uh, David and Teresa, I, I wanted to see what was the most surprising uh, outcome or result that, that you uh, saw through or after the transparency process? I think for me, it was um, physicians going from denial and rejection and this is a terrible idea, why aren't you doing it, to them accepting it. And now the ones who are not on it, we still have 350 who are not. They're mad because they're not on it. And they don't think it's fair when at the beginning it was, this isn't fair. Why are you doing to this to us? And now they're, gra- they're grateful that we have, you know, joined this journey. And they feel that we're protecting them, that we have their buy-in. I think that transformation 
in uh, a very sensitive topic and seeing it go from a sensitive issue and, and sort of a vulnerable state to acceptance to, wow, this is a great idea. Thank you all for doing this. And we, they feel like, you know, we're right up there with everybody else. I don't know what you think, David, but, but for me, that was, that was it. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Totally. It, it's just, uh, just the change in, in opinion on it and the sentiment. And just as I showed you at the end with like our number of appeals, you can see that there's trust there now and they trust that, uh, that the appeals committee is doing the right thing and that the champions are there. So they trust the process much more. Another question. Is it a bad idea to have your work group or champions also be your appeals team? In my opinion, if I'm, if I'm understanding the question correctly, in my opinion, no, I don't think it is. I, I think in a way it's important because you got to remember that these champions are the ones, in most cases, any provider out there who's, who's under transparency, when they look at our, our larger group of champions, there's someone on that champions group that's within their service line. Maybe they're within their practice. It's somebody they have a connection with. And so the fact that those peers are the ones um, that are making the decisions and that they can go to them and say, hey, you know, I don't think this criteria is quite fair, or I think you need to consider adding something. Um, I don't see where it's like a conflict of interest or anything like that. I think it makes sense for the ones who designed uh, the program and designed the criteria to be the ones that did rule on it. Otherwise, someone's ruling on something they had no, uh, you know, ha- had no place or um, in, in designing from the start. So to me, it makes sense. Yeah, I agree. They, they, they have the buy-in. They understand the process. They'll be able to uh, work with their peers, and they'll be able to, um, you know, defend and help them the most. I totally agree with you, David. Got it. Um, and is there, uh, as far as the uh, appeals committee, uh, is, is there a, a number that's too many? Um, I've heard the recommendation of at least having an odd number so you can have a majority uh, if needed. But uh, five, seven, nine, is there a number that's too many? I think just, I think keeping it simple and if you have too many, it just takes more time. I think the the biggest thing is to make sure you have diversity in the appeals committee. Um, You know, like, and what I'm saying that in age, you know, in sex and gender, everything, because, you know, and within specialty, you know, like we had, don't have everybody from family medicine, but, you know, have a surgeon and then have a primary care. So I think that's more important than the number is that you have diversity. Uh, would you agree, David? Yeah, I'd agree. And, and, and to your question, Mike, about, you know, five, seven, nine. So you'll remember earlier that we rotate ours on a quarterly basis and, and as needed. And so, your whole champions group is probably only going to be, you know, 10 or 12 or, or less. So if you went to a large number like nine or even seven, then essentially you're not going to be able to, they're going to be on it all the time and you're not going to be able to, to rotate through. And there's some providers that don't mind being, they really enjoy it, don't mind staying on it, but then to some, it might be a little bit more of a burden. So having a smaller number allows you to, to rotate those through. Perfect. Thank you. Um, did you have to provide a disclaimer to patients that their comments may end up on the web- website? And, and if so, where did you provide that disclaimer? 
So that's a great question. So we provided that in, you know, when patients receive the survey, the CGCAP survey, um, they have, there's a cover letter that invites them to complete the survey. And we did um, put a disclaimer there in the letter, in that letter, we added it there so that they would know that. And not, again, not all comments are going to appear because some of them get rejected. But yes, we put that in the, in the invitation letter with the survey. Since you had an increase in volume, um, did you work with your service line managers, access team, call centers? So that was the real key in having the medical, um, the director of optimization for the medical group on our champions team, because they were really working on access. And the primary reason we did, we didn't put like some subspecialties like neurology, um, pulmonology. We had some access uh, issues at the beginning. Now we've got good access. We've got more providers, but we definitely had an access plan in place. And that was the key of having that medical person from the medical group on our team. And because it did drive business to all of them. And so their work and our work were really, um, the timing was, was very, uh, it was perfect because they had been working on access within those service lines for quite some time. So yes, close partnership. Last question here. Uh, since there are provider specific comments, what about your hospitals themselves? Will you include inpatient comments? So at this time, we don't include inpatient comments. Um, that's on the HCAP survey. We're just doing the CG caps and the hospital comments. And David, you can comment on this. Are a little bit harder to to um, attribute to a provider because in the hospital, a lot of times they see more than one provider. But the provider who discharged them, the comments will be attributed to. And then, um, but you know, like if you're a hospitalist, you could have seen hospitalist, you know, Dr. Varagis for four days. And then on day five, you saw Dr. Klinkscales. Well, the, the whole survey would go to Dr. Klinkscales NPI. And so it, it isn't really, in my opinion, it's not really fair because, you know, you can't really attribute it to their NPI. So David, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree completely. I think that, um, you know, and who knows where this will go? Who knows where transparency will go long term? And Mike, you guys could probably speak to that. But I know that, um, you know, we, we, Teresa and I presented at the Press County Conference uh, in the fall and, and talked to a lot of people, different people on this journey. And, and really, everyone's focusing on that physician practice side for those same reasons that Teresa mentioned. The one other thing I would add is that, you know, in reviewing all these comments every week, what you'll find is that even though it's the physician practice survey, if they had an inpatient stay with the same provider, in other words, if they had a surgery, because typically what will happen is if they go see one of our surgeons, they'll have an office visitor too, then they'll have their surgery, and then they'll probably have a follow-up after that. And you'll see a lot of inpatient comment or uh, content. So in other words, you can tell by the context that they say, you know, when I was in the hospital and had my surgery done, Dr. Smith came to see me and was so great and coached me on my next steps, things like that. So uh, point being, I think that they certainly speak to the, the practice setting, but, but when they do have inpatient interactions with that same provider, a lot of the times they'll include those in their comments. Yeah, thank you. What we have seen in the past is if you want to take comments and roll them up to locations, so take provider specific comments and roll them up to the locations that they're um, working in. 
Um, we can certainly do that on our side and roll them up to locations. So not only can your provider pages have transparency and comments, but so can those location pages. I think that's all the questions that we had. Uh, David and Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your experiences with, with all the attendees, and we certainly appreciate the attendees taking the time to listen as well. Thank you so much, and everyone enjoy your day. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.